if you uh, miss him as father, you've missed him. Uh, he's, he's lots of things. He's a king, he's a judge, he's a shepherd, he's a priest. He's, he's all of those things, yes, amen. But if you miss him as a father, you, you've missed his essence of who he is. Over 240 times in the New Testament, he's referred to as the father. And um, if you miss him as, as Abba Father, um, you've missed a huge element of how he's chosen to reveal himself uh, to us. Thanks for being here today. My name's Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting, thanks for visiting today. Uh, I'd like to say hi to you after service if I can get around to you. And sometimes it's hard for me to get around, and I'd love for you to come say hi to me and, and officially be able to welcome you to our service today. We're finishing a series today. Uh, the series has been called uh, Greater Than, and um, I want to talk to you today about a, a topic that was first talked to me uh, by a seminary professor that I had back at Asbury Seminary in the late 90s. Dr. Ellsworth Callis has just recently died, and, and he had great, great influence in my life. Um, a lot of the ways that I preach and uh, the, the technique that I go about preaching, and all preachers do that a little differently, um, comes from Dr. Callis. And um, reminiscing about him this week, uh, listening to some things uh, on the internet, some, uh, some sermons that he's preached, I was reminded about uh, something that he told us back in the late 90s, and I want to share that uh, with you today. He, um, he told us, in preaching class to be able to he said tell this to the people that you preach to so I'm following his uh, admonition today I've already told it to you in some sermons a little bit a little bit here a little bit there but I've never really put it in all one sermon but he 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 took about 10 minutes today uh, one day and just really laid this out for us and he says now go preach that to your people and I in honoring Dr. Callis, and I believe in honoring God as well today, I want to do what he told me to do, and that's preach that to uh, my people. Uh, when we talk about the whole uh, area sometimes of Christianity and sermons and so forth, uh, a lot of people here today or in any churches today that aren't Christian, sometimes maybe it's kind of hard to apply the sermon for people that really aren't Christians. But here's today's a sermon that even if you're not a Christian today and really even don't even want to be a Christian, there is application in this sermon today that will just help you live life well. And um, obviously there is really strong spiritual application to this. But even if you're here today, just receive this as like an inspirational message or something like that because a motivational talk or, or a life coach or something like that because there's a lot in here today that can be able just to help you live life well. Now, if you're a Christian here today, this is absolutely crucial for you in, in, your, in your life. So hear that with, with, with whatever ears that you came with uh, today. Often, at least in Christian circles, I know it's not in unbelieving circles that you don't have this conversation very much, but sometimes in Christian circles, uh, in small groups or in Sunday school classes, or just maybe in your own brain, you, you wonder, are there sins 
that are worse than other sins. Now, I think probably all of us that have any degree of seriousness about our Christian life have had that thought. Uh, are there sins that are worse than other sins? Are there some sin right up here at the very top and then some sins down here at the very bottom and then a whole bunch in the middle? Uh, I, I think that's a, a thought that sometimes we have had and one that we probably haven't answered very well. And I'll tell you right here at the get-go, I'm not going to be able to answer that very well because the Bible doesn't that list a hierarchy of sins. There's something called, um, and you've heard it before, uh, you've heard of the seven deadly sins. And the seven deadly sins is, is not a, a uh, biblical construct. It, it, was, it, was, it was in literature many, many years ago. And, uh, but it kind of gets passed down and some people may think that it's in literature. I've got the list of the seven deadly sins up here and there's lust and, and, and gluttony. We don't use that word a lot, but that's one that I will probably commit this afternoon. And because I like to take a good nap on Sunday afternoons, you know how that is. Greed and sloth, that's an old word for laziness, uh, wrath, envy, or pride. That, that's not a, nowhere in the Bible does it say that list is the seven deadly sins. But that's kind of been passed down because it's been in literature before. Now the Bible does say something in Proverbs chapter 6 that's kind of interesting and uh, it says something kind of like that. For in Proverbs chapter 6, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, and there are seven that are detestable to him. And it lists those now. Haughty, that means prideful. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devised, devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness, that, that's just lying, who pours out lies, and a person who's just constantly stirring up conflict in the community. Now, it says in Proverbs that that's a list of seven things that the Lord uh, detests. In 1 Corinthians, um, there's a passage, and there's, you, you read this, and you could say, well, maybe this, these sins are worse than others. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Bible says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins, so it's kind of making a distinction here. All other sins... All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against the body. And, and the passage continues, do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit? So I've heard some people write and speculate that sexual sins are the worst, and they would use that verse to be able to say that. In Exodus chapter 32, there's a story that some of us who have been in church a long time will know. And if you haven't been in church a long time, I really don't have five minutes to explain it to you. But I know it'll sound weird to you, but uh, the people built a golden calf. And it was just a, not a good thing at all. And Moses says to those people, you have committed a great sin. Now, I think you can infer from that that Moses said that was a great sin, or then some sins are not as great. 1 John chapter 5 helps us out just a little bit more. 1 John chapter 5 says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, all right? If there are sins that don't lead to death, common sense has to tell you there are sins that do lead to death. And I guess the sins that do lead to death would be worse than the sins that don't and then you then you've got a, a passage in james chapter 2 where some people say all sin is alike 
all sin is the same, whether, whether it's this or whether it's this, all sin is the same in God's eyes. And they would go to J- uh, James chapter 2 that says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one part of that is guilty of the whole thing. So it's like, I just stumble in one part, big part, small part, in the middle. I just stumble at one part, then I'm guilty of the whole thing. And I could take some more time to be able to go show you some maybe verses on either side of that. And I'm not here to be able to today to give you this hierarchy of sin. That's above my pay grade. I don't want to be the person that says this sin is worse than that sin. I don't want that responsibility. That's God's responsibility. I have nothing to be able to want to do with, with that. But there's one thing I do know. Uh, your sin is worse than mine. I know that. And we all agree with that. Uh, you all think my sin's worse than yours. That's just our human nature. That's, our, that's, that's just our weirdness as human beings. The, the sins that we struggle with are not really that big of a deal. The sins that other people struggle with, now that's a big deal. That's part of our fallen nature. That's part of our weirdness as human beings. But there was one day Dr. Callis came to us and told us this. And he didn't tell us in the greater than terminology, but I'm going to take and I'm going to put it in a greater than terminology. And what I came to tell you today, and it came straight from Dr. Callis's mouth, so don't think I'm smart enough to be able to, to think of this on my own. Dr. Callis says, tell your people about the second sin. And I'm here today to tell you that the second sin is greater than the first sin. And when he first told us that in class, we received it the exact same way you're probably receiving it right now. And you're saying, well, what in the world does that mean? Second sin, first sin, what? I don't get that at all. And then he started fleshing it out for us. You remember the first sin. The story in, in, in Genesis. And our, our first mother and father were placed into paradise, a place of absolute beauty. They had every single thing that they possibly could be able to want. They were hanging out with all these wild animals. And the Bible just portrays Eden as absolute paradise. But even in paradise, God gave them law. He gave them right... That's a fascinating thought in and of itself. Even in paradise, God gave them law. He gave them right and wrong. Now, we can speculate whether this right and wrong is symbolic language Was it really fruit from a tree? Or is that just the way God is trying to be able to explain that to us? Whatever it was, it was disobedience and unbelief. Whatever it was. Maybe it was a tree. Maybe it was a fruit. It wasn't an apple, by the way. The Bible says it was a fruit. Maybe that's just the way God, in his wisdom, just tried to explain it to us. Because if he maybe had actually said what that first sin was, we'd have thought that was the worst one. And we would have put all the other ones down here. I don't have any clue, but suffice it to say that there's no question. Whatever that sin was, it was a sin of disobedience and it was a sin of unbelief. And by the way, here's a little hobby horse of mine. It's, it was unbelief which led to the disobedience. They didn't take God at his word. That led to disobedience. Disobedience is not the big issue. The issue is the unbelief because the unbelief has to precede the disobedience they chose not to believe god see this whole thing comes down to faith and belief 
They chose not to believe God when he said, don't eat from the tree at the center of the garden. Now, when they chose not to believe him, then they disobeyed. So the big issue in our lives is, are we believing and are we taking him at his word? Not just believing in him, but believing him and take him at his word. So you, you know the story, and, and so they, they take from the fruit of, of the tree, and immediately the Bible says their eyes are opened, and, and they, they knew they were naked. They were so innocent before then, they didn't even know they were naked, just like a little one-year-old kid. He, a little one-year-old kid would just run through his strip star naked and just wouldn't care. He'd just run all the way up and down through here. He'd sit right there in that first pew, strip star naked, wouldn't even care. He's they're innocent. And something of that innocence is what we had in the garden, but that was lost immediately, and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And the Bible then says they hid from God. Now, let me tell you something. I think even Adam and Eve knew they couldn't hide from God. Let me, let me tell you something about sin. It makes you stupid. It really does. And, and I use that word intentionally. It makes you do irrational things. I had a professor that says prolonged sin in your life hurts your, it doesn't hurt your cognitive abilities. It, it makes you think real, real, let's be honest, it makes you stupid. And they were hiding from God. And God in his mercy and in his grace, the first big, one of the big exhibitions of God's grace, he comes to them and says, where are you? He comes looking for them. He could have turned his back on them. You did what I didn't tell you to do. and turned my back on you. No, he comes looking for them. And that's what he does for all of us. And that's a sermon right there in itself. But he, he, he comes and he's, 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 he's looking for them. And then he does, then he has another marvelous illustration of his grace. He convicts them of their sin and said, did you eat from the tree I told you not to? What a marvelous exhibition of his love and grace for us is that when we drift, he convicts us. We just can't drift off on our own, and, and we just all of a sudden, we're just lost. Well, I don't know how we got it. No, God in his mercy and God in his grace will always, by, by his spirit, by our conscience, mixed together, I don't know, he convicts us. A great example of that he's a good, good father. He convicts us. And so he, he asked him, you know, that, you know, did you eat from the tree? And in, and in Genesis 3, 12, we get their answers. And, and, and Adam steps up to the plate like a real man. Yeah. <laughs> Man's up. Protects his wife. This woman, I was okay by myself. <laughs> You're the one who said I needed a helpmate. I didn't think I needed a helpmate. I was cool all along. Me and you walking in the cool of the garden. I, we were cool. But you thought I needed somebody. And look what she's done. And then he raises the bar. This woman that you gave me, God, it's your fault. Now, how often do we say that in 2016? 
And so God goes to the woman in verse 13. God goes to the woman. And he says, what is this you have done? And she says, the devil made me do it. And thus, you have what Dr. Callis calls the second sin. The sin of excuses. The sin of not owning up. The sin of not taking responsibility for your own actions. The sin of putting it off on someone else. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the second sin, the second sin is greater than the first sin. There is marvelous, marvelous forgiveness from whatever the first sin is. You just name it. Start naming all the ugly ones. I don't care. You just start naming the list. There is marvelous, unconditional forgiveness for whatever that sin is. But let me tell you, if you commit the second sin, that makes God's forgiveness plan null and void. Because if you won't own up, if you won't say, hey, it's my fault, if you won't admit, if you won't confess, if you won't say, my bad, there's no plan of forgiveness for you. As powerful as the blood of Jesus Christ, there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. As strong as the blood of Jesus Christ is, it's not strong enough to overcome the second sin. Because if you won't confess, if you won't admit, if you won't repent, if you won't step up to the plate and take responsibility for your actions, you, me, all of us, there's no forgiveness. Part of the marvelous plan God has come up with is that you and I would come to grips with our own state and that we need a savior and the only reason i need a savior is not because someone else did it for me it's because i did it i need that savior dr callis said teach your people about the second sin dr callis says don't let your people die committing the second there's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness for the one that won't admit, that, that, that won't confess. Even our secular stuff knows that. What's the first thing you got to do in Alcoholics Anonymous? Hi, my name's Mark Atherton, and I'm an alcoholic. I've got to come clean. Hi, my name's Mark Atherton, and, you know, my wife drives me nuts, and I have a little bit too much to drink every now and then. They'll tell me to get out of the room. I'm not ready for them yet. These excuses that we, we're so likely to, to give, I, this is my opinion, I don't have scripture for this, I think it's just a real exhibition of our sinful nature. It's a real exhibition of how fallen we are, of our, our propensity to come up with excuses of our propensity to point the finger at someone else, of our propensity to be able to justify ourselves. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's their fault. I, well, maybe I didn't, didn't do it exactly right, but do you know what they did? 
You know how often I hear that in the counseling room? This, this excuses can be very serious with eternal consequences, as I'm talking about, or they can just be kind of everyday excuses, and we've had them for years and years, and people even make videos about these excuses. Let's watch one of those videos right now. I got a, got a big butt. It's gigantic, if I'm gonna be blunt about it. And you know what, the funny thing is, I got several big butts. And, and, and before, you, before you discard me or, or wince at the disgusting notion of that, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and suggest that possibly you have at least one big butt as well. Yeah, you like that? Hurts a little, huh? Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something, okay? Everybody we know has a big butt. And more often than not, it's the thing that actually gets in the way of us living a consistent life for Jesus. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. I'm gonna expound a little bit, okay? See if you can recognize some of these butts. But I have to work more. But my favorite TV show is on. But my kids have practice. But I gotta tweet something. But it's such a beautiful day. But I'm just not in the mood. But I deserve a break today. You see, everything kind of interferes with my life of, of just living an authentic life for God, okay? And more often than not, it always has something to do with some sort of butt, okay? Even the littlest of butt can get distract me. It really can. The littlest butt can make me think, well, I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to think about it today. I'm not going to deny myself. I'm not going to read the Bible, blah, blah, blah. Whatever God asks me to do, I seem to have a butt for it and get away, okay? And the most horrendously big butt of all time is the butt that gets in the way of me just hanging out with God and reading His Word. It's true. Think about it. All the times you're about to open that, and all of a sudden a big giant butt gets in the way. A butt much like one of these. But I got a farm bill, but I'm tired, but the game's over, but I read last Tuesday, but I gotta check Facebook, but I don't like Leviticus, but it's too hot in here, but I, I just don't like books, but I don't understand it, but it's boring. But what does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Those are some ugly butts, people. Let's just call them what they are, ugly. Ugly butts, okay? And there's a lot more to them, sad but true. Here's a list, although not exhaustive, of some of the most popular butts known to mankind. But I don't have enough money yet. But others will think that I'm a nerd if I carry the Bible. But they won't like me if I talk about Jesus. But I don't know if God will do what I ask. But I just can't get motivated. But I'm afraid. But I don't have all the answers. But the small group is the same night as Monday Night Football. But can I just let my life speak for itself? But I'm not happy. That's not my gift. That's the pastor's job. But I don't know how to pray. But I can't believe that. But I don't know where to start. But everybody else is having fun. Butts abound, friend. But, 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 but. Here a butt, there a butt. Everywhere a butt butt. Okay? And, and, and the most overused butt of all time, but I just don't have enough time. Really? Oh, come on. We have a lot of butts. God has given us a real simple word. Okay? If we learn it, and we share it, and we teach it, and we live by it, then see, God gets glorified, people benefit, and then we get blessed. That's why we do what we do. That's the why behind the butt. Okay? And ultimately, that's the whole point I'm trying to make here, my fellow butt lovers, is if your butt is bigger than your why, then your butt's too big. Okay? It's time to metaphorically speaking, snap into a swim gym. Okay, let's slap on some spiritual shape-ups and hit the road a little bit so we can just manage the butts a little bit. That's all we're trying to do. That's what we're talking about. Let's minimize the excuses. Let's shrink the butts. Shrink the butts. Say it with me. Shrink the butts. That's what we need to do. And you and I can do that together. We can conquer this. You and I can do it. We start today, okay? I know we can. Let's just do it. No ifs, ands, or... All the videos that I've shown you, that's probably one of my favorites. Some of you remember I probably showed that two or three years ago. 
Dr. Callis. Man of great, great wisdom. Warn your people about the second sin. You preacher boys out there, you preacher girls, warn your people about excuses. Some of them may not be that important, but some excuses can have eternal consequences. Because the second sin is greater than the first. Whatever the first sin is, there's a plan for that. There's no plan for the second sin. There's no plan for the person that won't own up. There's no plan for the person that won't confess. There's no plan for the person that just won't say, my fault. You know, um, excuses is kind of the op- opposite of repentance, and repentance is a big spiritual word. And when Jesus came to preach, Jesus preached a very simple message. He says, repent and believe. And repent means to turn. Repent means to say, I'm sorry, I don't ever want to do it again. And, and our world literally functions on repentance. Uh, nations can go the wrong direction. And they can go the wrong direction for several years, but if they will come clean, if they will admit that, if they will make a deliberate effort to turn, they can change direction. They, they can, they can, but if they'll just not admit that there's a problem, they'll whistle themselves to their own graveyard. I want to make a statement that I don't mean for it to be political, okay? I'm not on Facebook right now, okay? I'll make some political statements on Facebook, but I won't make them right here. And I read this week, and this is not a political statement. This, is, this statement is about a Democrat, but the Republicans do the exact same thing, exact same thing. For Joe Biden went to Mexico for a one-day trip, and his hotel bill was $530,000. 260 hotel rooms were needed for the vice president of the United States, who happens to be a Democrat, he could be a Republican, I'd be laying out the Republican if it was, takes 260 hotel rooms for the vice president of the United States to spend one night at a conference in Mexico. And that's not including the money to get him there and the food and all that kind of stuff. Now, friends, if we won't admit that we are almost $20 trillion in debt and we continue to spend $530,000 on one night's hotel rooms, we get what we deserve. A nation can turn, but it's got to admit that there's a problem. Hey, you ever heard of Skype? I mean, we're broke. Let's Skype him down there, okay? We, I just don't get it. And as an example, it's an, and, and, and Republicans have contributed to this as much as Democrats have. And it's an example of a nation that won't admit that there's a problem and won't come clean. But if a nation will do that, it'll, it'll, if it will repent 
And that's a spiritual word, but that can be used in a secular way. It can get back on the right track. It can get back on the right track again. Businesses have the same thing. Businesses can make horrible decisions. Who remembers New Coke? Remember that? What a Coca-Cola would have been one of the most successful businesses of all time, I would assume. Now, back X amount of years ago, I don't remember how far long it was, they decided to tweak their formula for something that had been tried and true for them forever and come out with new Coke because they know us and we like new and improved things. And that's why you see it on all these stuff they want you to buy. It'll say new and improved. But they came out with new Coke and nobody liked it. Now they could have pushed forward with that and too proud to make a mistake, but they owned up to it. They admitted it. They went back to the old formula. And now a lot of these kids right in here don't even know what I'm talking about with new Coke. They owned up to it. And now they're the same strong billion-dollar company that they were. But if they kept going down that road, They, 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 they repented in a secular way. They didn't make an excuse. Well, you know, you know people, we, you know, we, we invested a lot of money in this, and da-da-da-da-da. Our research says da-da-da-da-da. And individuals are the same way. If I can't catch a ball very well, if I can't catch a ball very well, I, if I go to my coach and say, Mr. Coach, I can't catch a ball very well. You know what? I'll get better at it if I truly want to do that. But as long as I say, well, the sun, the sun was in my eyes, the grass was wet, I saw Jimmy had it. I'm not going to get any better. I'm not going to get any better. One of the most important things that I did as a college and high school basketball coach that I thought built teams was I demanded that my players, upon a turnover or something they did on the floor that wasn't good, they had to say, my bad. They didn't need to get all freaked out. They didn't need to stomp their feet and show a lot. They just need to say, my bad, and go back and play defense. That's all they need to do. Because that my bad accept responsibility, and it builds team. Instead of, well, that, you should have thrown it better how could I catch that? You threw it at my foot. Somebody needs to go, my bad. That's what we're talking about here. And the secular application to this, take away the Christian application, the secular application for all of us in our lives here, life, just say, say there wasn't a God and there wasn't a hell to gain or there wasn't a heaven to gain or a hell to shine. They're just, we need to be able to be successful in life, but we just need to be able to own up. And take responsibility for our own actions. There can be no reconciliation. You're mad at somebody, somebody else is mad at you. There's no reconciliation as long as you're pointing fingers. And until one or both parties will say the equivalent of my bad. But what happens is, well, if you hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have done that. Then you wouldn't have put that on Facebook and we wouldn't have done Dr. Callis looked us all square in the eye and said, tell your people 
about the second sin. And so, 20 years later, here I am. And I'm telling you today that the second sin is greater than the first sin. The Bible talks about the unpardonable sin. And the Bible says it's a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'll be quite honest with you. I've never understood really what that is. How do you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Some people say this. Some people say that. I'll be honest with you. I don't really know. But there is a real way where the second sin, the sin of excuses, the sin of not owning up, this woman that you gave me, the devil made me do it. There, there's, there's a real sense that that second sin could be the unpardonable sin. Because one of the things the Holy Spirit does is it leads us into all truth and convicts us. And when the Spirit comes and, and, and convicts me and I, I don't own up to that and I, I shrug that off and I harden my heart, what forgiveness is, what pardon is there for that? I mean, what pardon is there for anyone that won't come clean and admit? There's no pardon there. And when you deny the Holy Spirit's wooing in your life, the Bible says when you do that, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says you harden your heart. And this is scary. Romans chapter 1, this is scary. Romans chapter 1 says God has given over some of us to a hardened heart. So that's why when you hear you better respond. Because you won't know the next time. Because after you say no, and no, and no, and no, and no, that heart gets harder, and harder, and harder. My dad would think, there may be a time you're not even able to respond. A very simple message. The second sin is greater than the first. You know, I don't know if anyone committed as, here I am trying to rate sins, as big a sin, I, that's not good terminology, but think about David in the Old Testament. Not only did he commit adultery, he committed murder to cover it up. Now that's in anybody's terminology, that's, that's pretty honoring. All right, so, so you've got this king that commits adultery with Bathsheba and then murders Bathsheba's husband to cover it up, okay? Old Testament story, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, something like that, okay? Then you've got, in the New Testament, you've got the New Testament author looking back on this adulterer and murderer's life and saying, he's a man after God's own heart. Wait a minute, God. Did you forget about Bathsheba? Did you forget about killing her husband? Sit him out to war, put him on the front lines, cover it up. And now you're saying... He's a man after God's own heart. What must have happened in between this sin, worst, highest, number one, I don't know, this sin 
and the unbelievable compliment that the New Testament author throws on this sinner by saying he's a man after God's own heart. What happened here? Psalm 51 is what happened. Do you know Psalm 51? These are David's words. After the prophet, the prophet, that kind of means the preacher. After the preacher came to him and says, thou art the man. And David says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. This is not a man that says, this woman, this, this. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Verse 9, hide your face, God, from my sins. Blot out my iniquity. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken spirit that says it's my fault. It's me. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh God. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not Adultery, murder, man after God's own heart. Those two things don't make any sense. Unless there's repentance. Unless there's coming to grips. Unless there's my bad, my fault. No one else but me. What you, I'm, I'm, I'm here today and I probably am right even though I don't know everyone's background I'm not sure I'm not sure that there's people that have both there's people in here committed adultery but there's not I don't know if there's people in here that committed adultery and that murdered or covered up that man because he refused to commit the second sin when the New Testament looks back on his life and says, that's a man after God's own heart. Every Sunday, we come to the table. And if you're committing the second sin, you're just wasting your time. You can drink a whole gallon of grape juice and it won't do you any good. If you walk this aisle and take the bread and take the cup and there's a second sin in your life. But even the getting up out of your seat can be a form of repentance. And say, yes, Father. That blood was shed for me. 
It was for my sins. I know I, I, I you know, I, I didn't commit adultery or, or, or murder, but it was for my sins. And one of the things Dr. Callis wanted, wanted me to tell you. I get, I get, I get choked up. He's a good guy. But with tears in his eyes, he says, don't let your people die committing this second sin. He was pleading with us. And that's what he wanted of us, out of us, a sense of urgency when we preached. Our servers are coming to the table. And I don't know where you are spiritually. But I know there's something deep down inside you because there's something deep down inside me that wants to excuse away stuff. Oh, my mother and my grandmother and my father and my grandfather and it's just the way I am. And second sense territory. Well, I just, you know the type of childhood I was raised in. You know the home I was raised in. Yeah, I'm sure some of you were, but that's second sin territory right there. Well, if, if, if my boss, if my boss hadn't have done that, then I would have kept that job and then everything would have, that's second sin territory right there. Well, if that husband, if that, if, if that wife, those kids, you're in second sin territory. And hear this preacher trying to wave the same flag that Dr. Callis waved for 60 years. Don't commit the second sin. I have nothing, no forgiveness plan to preach to you if you do. Father, I just pray that Every single one of us will come to grips with this in our lives. I pray you use these next few moments. Some people want to pray around the altar. But I pray that no matter how it happens, no one will leave this place. Or people that are listening on the internet, no one will shut this sermon off or leave this place still guilty of the second sin. Help us all come to grips with reality in our lives. In Jesus' name. Our tables and our altars